there! You are listening to the Motherhood Elevated Podcast. I'm your host, Annette Jones, and this is episode number 45, God's Will for You. You are listening to the Motherhood Elevated Podcast for women who want to find clarity of mind, create lasting emotional well-being and confidence, and achieve amazing potential. Come with me. This will be fun. Happy Friday. Thanks for joining me today. I have had a bunch of topics for this podcast buzzing around in my head, lots of things I've been thinking about, and I didn't really know where to begin today, but I'm just going to start sharing some of the thoughts I've had recently, and we'll see where it takes us. I have the feeling this might turn into a series of episodes because I know that everything I want to share with you would be pretty hard to fit in just one, so we'll just jump right in and see how far we get today. So something that has been on my mind a lot lately is the subject of God's will versus our will. I've been setting some big goals for myself recently, and the question that keeps coming up for me is, but does God want this for me? Is this his will? And I think in the church we hear a lot about this, right? About aligning our will with God's will. About making sure that what we want is what God wants for us. I feel like this is a message um, I heard a lot from Elder Neil A. Maxwell, who was one of my favorite apostles to listen to growing up. He talked a lot about submitting our will to God's, and I believe this is important. I believe in God and that he loves me and that his will truly is what is best for me. But I don't know if the way that I've interpreted this belief in my life has been very accurate or helpful in the process of making choices and using. So for most of my life, I believed that God had a specific will and plan for me. And I mean down to the little details like who I would marry, where I would live, what my church callings would be, how many kids I would have, what my health would be like, what talents and skills I'd develop, whether or not I would have a career, everything. Which sounds kind of funny to say, but also it makes sense, I think, based on the way we talk about these things sometimes. We hear about people being guided in their career choices, uh, prompted as to whom they should marry or how many kids they should have being led to just the right home in just the perfect neighborhood, even the idea that our callings come by revelation and inspiration. It all, at least for me, created this belief that God had a specific plan and direction for my life and that it was my job to either figure out what that plan was and follow it exactly, or just to kind of sit back and wait and see what God had planned because I didn't want to do anything that would mess up his grand design for my life. But this also left me feeling very much like someone who was just, as the scriptures say, being acted upon. It was like I was just waiting around for what was next. What did God want me to do next in my life? It felt like this mystery that I was supposed to solve, like there was a right or wrong answer. And I kind of felt like more like a spectator waiting to see what God was going to spring on me next than an active participant and creator in my life. And this kind of left me feeling like, I don't know if victim is the right word, that sounds kind of harsh. I trusted God for sure, but I certainly didn't feel like I had a lot of say in how my life went. I felt a lot of pressure to figure out what exactly God wanted me to do or to be, rather than freedom to get in the driver's seat and use my agency to create my own life. Now, this might sound like I'm saying we should just go and do whatever we want and then it doesn't matter. That's not what I'm saying. But I do think that God wants us to be more independent and creative and to take initiative in our lives than we sometimes allow ourselves to believe. And this is something, as I mentioned, that I've really thought about 
and even struggled with for years. I remember eight or so years ago, my husband wanted to buy a travel trailer for our family so that we could go out camping and take trips. We'd rented them when our kids were smaller and we'd had so much fun and made some really amazing memories. And our oldest daughter at that time was just starting her sophomore year of high school and we were really feeling Um, You know, that time was growing short with her, that we only had a few more years with her at home before she headed off into the real world and everything changed. And so my husband just thought this was the best idea ever to go buy a a travel trailer so that we could go take more trips and make more memories. And I didn't really know what to think about this. First of all, it seemed like a huge investment and I just wasn't sure this was what we should do. But he was pretty confident, so we spent a few weekends going to RV shows just to kind of check things out and see what we liked. And I remember driving out to one of these shows. It was like an hour away from our house, and I had just had this pit in my stomach. And the question that kept running through my mind was, but does Heavenly Father want us to buy a trailer? How does he feel about this? Does he think we're being selfish or crazy? Does he think we're rushing into this? Does he think this is a bad idea? And so finally, I just had to know what my husband thought of all this. And I asked him, how do you think Heavenly Father feels about this? Do you think he wants us to buy this trailer? And I think he thought this was a funny question and probably thought it was a little crazy. And he said, I don't think he really cares that much either way. And I was a little blown away that he could think that with all my overthinking and worrying about it, trying to make sure that what we were doing was God's will. And my husband was having absolutely none of that drama. And he said something to the effect of, you know, I think that buying this trailer is going to help us make some really fun memories and bring us closer together as a family. So yeah, I think God would approve of us doing it. I think he's fine with it. And maybe he even sees it as a good thing. And that was a really interesting moment for me because I realized that God really would be fine with whatever decision we made. Either way, if this was something we felt good about, he was all for it. And that's just kind of a funny little example, but for me, it was a powerful one because I began to realize that maybe God didn't have this strict set of things that I had, that had to happen or that couldn't happen in my life, that he's actually given me a lot of leeway in what I want to create in my life and how I want things to go. So to understand this principle a little better, I want to take you back to a time long before any of us can even remember, before this life even started. And I want to ask you a question. Who created you? Did you say God? Well, that would be right. God is the creator of your spirit. But I want to share with you a few quotes that have changed the way that I think about God being our creator and how that affects um, you know, my idea of my personal agency. So in his famous King Follett discourse, the prophet Joseph Smith said, I intend to edify you with the simple truths from heaven. In the first place, I wish to go back to the beginning to the morn of creation, the soul, the mind of man, the immortal spirit. Where did it come from? All learned men and doctors of divinity say that God created it in the beginning, but it is not so. The very idea lessens man in my estimation. We say that God himself is a self-existent being. Who told you that man did not exist in like manner upon the same principles? Man does exist upon the same principles. The spirit or intelligence of man is not a created being. It existed from all eternity and will exist into eternity. The mind or intelligence which man possesses is co-equal or co-eternal with God himself. Joseph Fielding Smith years later um, expounded on this principle when he said, In saying the spirit of man is not created, 
The prophet, without any doubt, had in mind the intelligence as explained in the Doctrine and Covenants. Man was also in the beginning with God. Intelligence, or the light of truth, was not created or made, neither indeed can be. From this we gather that the intelligence in man was not created. But the prophet taught very clearly that man is in very deed the offspring of God, and that the spirits of men were born in the spirit world, the children of God. So there is a very subtle but important distinction here. What these prophets are saying is that God is a self-existent being, meaning his intelligence or who he is wasn't created. It's always existed. And if that's true for God, then the same must be true for us. We are conscious, self-governing, independently thinking beings. We have always existed eternally as intelligences, which means who you are, your unique individual self, the being you know as you, was not created by our heavenly parents. Is this boggling your mind a little? Stay with me here. (laughs) So why is this distinction important? Because it has significant implications about our agency and the purpose of our lives on earth. Just as your parents created the physical body that houses your spirit, your heavenly parents created a spirit body to house your already existent intelligence. But they did not create your intelligence or who you are. That already existed. And just as we as earthly parents can't control the wills or desires of our own children, they all come with minds of their own, right? We can certainly influence them, but we can't make them think or feel or do or be anything. That's up to them. No one can take over our minds and make us think or believe things we don't want to think or believe. Our heavenly parents do not control who we are, what attitudes we adopt, or what choices we make, because that is part of our intelligence that has existed forever. They didn't actually create that part of us. Author Dennis Deaton explained it this way. He said each individual intelligence had an actual birth as a spirit. As that which is temporal is in the likeness of that which is spiritual, through an expression of divine love between our heavenly parents, our individual intelligence was tabernacled in a spirit body, becoming thereby, in the truest sense, a begotten spirit, daughter, or son of God. Through this birth, The state of that intelligence is forever changed, improved, and amplified. At birth, the newly embodied intelligence enters a vastly augmented level of existence, referred to as his or her first estate. The amplified possibilities gained in the transition from an intelligence to a spirit being are of such magnitude that it makes the term quantum leap a feeble metaphor. Once endowed with a spirit body, Each spirit child is nurtured and educated by loving celestial parents. Although innately unique, each spirit is provided equal and maximum opportunity for growth, expression, experience, and progress according to the exercise of his or her agency. And so why is this distinction important? Because when we are talking about things like God's will or who God wants us to be, I think sometimes our perspective can tend to be a little limited or short-sighted. We ask questions like, what does God want me to study in school? What career does he want me to choose? Who does he want me to marry? How many kids does he want me to have? Where does he want me to live? What talents does he want me to develop? Things like that, right? And it's not that these things aren't important to him. I believe he cares very much about these aspects of our lives and will be just as involved in guiding and helping us as we allow him to be. But when we talk about God's will for us, I think his will is much more about the bigger picture than the tiny details. 
Moses 1.39 states that God's work and glory is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. That is his will for us. First of all, to gain immortality, which we all automatically get when the Savior overcame death, right? And it's also his will that we have eternal life, which is the life that he and other exalted beings live. The purpose of our life is to, line upon line, acquire his attributes as best we can. And we do that by living in this earth life experience, making choices, taking action, having all kinds of experiences, failing and making mistakes, trying again and having success, learning and growing and gaining knowledge and becoming intentional creators in our lives. That is his will for us. And I think it gets easier to get caught up in fear or maybe some confusion because we don't want to make the wrong move. We don't want to take the next step unless we're certain that it's what God wants for us. And sometimes I think we do have that certainty. Sometimes God lets us know that there is something he has for us to pursue or a path he orchestrates that we have the opportunity to choose. I've had a few of those experiences throughout my life where I've had very strong impressions of what my next step should be. But there have also been many, many other times when I didn't receive clear direction or a clear answer. And these are the times that I felt like God was telling me, this is where you get to practice really using your agency. Either path is fine. Whatever you choose will work. You get to decide. And I think there are times in our lives when the choices seem clear and obvious. And there are other times when we have to really get deliberate and figure out what we really want to create in our lives. And I believe God wants us to both learn how to make those decisions and how to take responsibility for them. Here's another quote I think is so interesting from Dennis Deaton. He says, The tenet of mainstream Christianity holds that God, of his own free will and choice, decided to create the spirits and the bodies of all his children and place them on an earth, which he also created out of nothing. Being a perfect God, that would mean each of his children is precisely as he preferred and deemed proper. And where does that idea put the responsibility for the actions and outcomes of each of those beings? On him. All of the mortal responsibility for the actions of every person born on this earth then falls on God. Following that logic, one has to conclude that God created Hitler to be Hitler, Gandhi to be Gandhi, Mother Teresa to be Mother Teresa, and it doesn't stop there. The next logical step is that all of the rest of us are exactly predetermined to be who we are, making the idea of agency null and void. Under that ideology, we humans are essentially nothing more than preset and predestined automatons that God created to perform precisely as he programmed from the beginning. Now, if you think about it, if everything about our lives was already predetermined, our families, our careers, our church callings, our hobbies and interests, our choices, if that were the case, this earth life experience we're all in right now would be kind of pointless. If God already had everything mapped out exactly how he wanted it to go, if he had already predetermined the choices we'd made and the things we would pursue, there wouldn't really be a need for us to have a mortal probation. And it would also take away the precious power that we call agency. So if God can't force us as independent, self-governing, consciously thinking individuals to think a certain way or choose a certain attitude, why do we say then that the war in heaven was fought over agency? We're told in the scriptures, in the book of Moses, that in the pre-existence, Satan rebelled against God and sought to destroy the agency of man. His goal was to take away our agency. 
But if no one, not even God, can really make us think or believe or choose a certain way, then how could our agency be destroyed? Elder Paul V. Johnson said Satan's ultimate goal is to make each of us miserable like he is. Since he can't impose this misery, he has to find a way to convince us to choose it. Convince people to choose to be miserable? It sounds ridiculous. And yet by all observations, he has been fairly successful in the world at large. How do you sell misery, bondage, and disappointment? Well, you have to lie. He's a liar. In fact, he is the father of all lies. Satan is a master at marketing, and the foundation of his marketing scheme is always lies. So, what lies is he trying to sell us? We could come up with all kinds of lies, I'm sure, but I think the most damaging lie of all is that we don't have a choice. The adversary wants us to believe that we don't have agency, that we are powerless. Think about this. How do you feel when you think you are powerless in a situation? Do you feel discouraged, anxious, unmotivated, apathetic, overwhelmed, depressed? And what kinds of actions do those feelings produce? Probably lots of inaction, lots of procrastination, avoiding, getting distracted with unimportant or even harmful things. And sometimes these emotions can even impair our judgment and lead us to take actions that we later regret. We might even call these actions sins, right? I love the way that Terrell and Fiona Givens define sin in their book, The God Who Weeps. They say the experience of sin is not an unalterable state we inhabit. It is a felt disharmony. The unhappiness of sin is nothing more than our spirit rebelling against a condition alien to its true nature. We have fallen out of alignment with God. I can look back on my life and see that it was the times I felt powerless and helpless that my actions were not what I wanted them to be. They weren't aligned with God's will or even my will or my higher self. And there were many times that I suffered and caused others to suffer because of my actions. And so that is the adversary's lie because he knows that when we feel like our agency has been taken away, we are most vulnerable to falling out of alignment with God. Um, I'm using a lot of quotes today, but there are just so many good ones on this subject. Elder Dale G. Renlin said, Our Heavenly Father's goal in parenting is not to have his children do what is right. It is to have his children choose to do what is right and ultimately become like him. If God's only goal for us was to do what was right, then the adversary's plan to take away our agency and force us to keep the commandments would have been a great one, right? But God's goal is not merely for us to do what is right, but to make the intentional choice to do what is right. So what does all this mean for us? Why is this important? Well, because understanding the freedom we have to choose as independent, self-governing, consciously thinking beings gives us power. Power to choose how we will think, power to decide how we want to feel, power to be intentional about the actions we take, power to create lives that align our desires with God's will, and power that helps us fulfill our personal missions and live into our full potential as his children. This knowledge makes a difference because it can help us move forward in faith, even when the next step isn't obviously laid out before us. It can help us to know that we don't need to put so much pressure on ourselves to make the exact right decisions all the time so that we don't disappoint God. He wants us to make our own choices and move forward with faith, believing that he can take our decisions and partner with us to make them work for both our earthly and our eternal good. 
I think this little shift in perspective can help us to truly see that God isn't just up there watching us from heaven, waiting to see whether or not we'll make the right guess as to what he wants us to do with our lives. He wants us to choose. He wants us to be active participants. He wants us to use our agency to create a fulfilling life. I don't think God has this big specific plan laid out for our lives. And if we make one wrong choice, it's going to throw us off course and ruin everything. God just doesn't work that way. He isn't waiting for us to comply with a big list of shoulds or requirements that we have to meet in order to fulfill our purpose. And this is great news because it means that we don't have to stay stuck in indecision. We don't have to be paralyzed with fear that we'll make the wrong choice. This is why we are here to learn how to think and act for ourselves and not to be acted upon. But even though God has allowed us his amazing power, he has not left us alone to fend for ourselves without any direction. If we do happen to choose a path that isn't good for us, he isn't just going to give up on us and leave us there. I've always loved the experience that Elder Holland shared about getting lost out in the desert with his young son and coming to a road that forked into two different directions. It was getting late and they weren't sure which road was the one that would lead them home, so they said a prayer to know which way to go and they were both prompted to take the road to the left. So they started down the road, and about 10 minutes later, they came to a dead end. And Elder Holland's son was a little troubled at this, and he asked his dad why they would feel prompted to take the road on the left when it clearly wasn't the right path. Elder Holland's response has such great insight for all of us. He said, the Lord has taught us an important lesson today. Because we were prompted to take the road to the left, we quickly discovered which one was the right one. When we turned around, and got on the right road, I was able to travel along its many unfamiliar twists and turnoffs perfectly confident that I was headed in the right direction. If we had started on the right road, we might have driven for 30 minutes or so, become uneasy with the unfamiliar surroundings, and been tempted to turn back. If we had done that, we would have discovered the dead end so late that it would have been too dark to find our way back in totally unfamiliar territory. His son later said of this experience, Sometimes, in response to prayers, the Lord may guide us down what seems to be the wrong road, or at least a road we don't understand, so in due time he can get us firmly and without question on the right road. Of course, he would never lead us down a path of sin, but he might lead us down a road of valuable experience. Sometimes in our journey through life, we can get from point A to point C only by taking a short side road to point B. I love that story, and I think it's a great lesson about trusting God and trusting ourselves to make, the, make decisions even in the face of uncertainty. So one last thought, and I will end for today. Um, about six years ago, just before my mom um, found out she had cancer, I had been in the temple and had an insight that brought me a lot of peace in the months following her diagnosis. So I've been kind of thinking about and studying the story of the Garden of Eden And just thinking about Adam and Eve and the fall, and for some reason, that day, the two trees really stood out to me. We know from the scriptures that there were two main trees in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life. And in the book of Moses, this is what we read about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It says, And I, the Lord God, took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And I, the Lord God, commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. Nevertheless thou mayest choose for thyself, for it is given unto thee, but remember that I forbid it. For in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. 
And so God clearly laid out the situation for Adam and Eve and explained the consequences of eating the fruit, which is that they would become mortal and subject to death. I think it's interesting that God didn't just make them mortal or tell them to eat the fruit. He gave them a choice and basically said, you get to use your agency on this one, right? God placed them in an environment where there would be opposition. They had God's commandment not to eat the fruit or else they would die versus Satan's enticement to eat the fruit and become like God. And God allowed this opposition and then allowed things to play out according to Adam and Eve's agency. Now we know what happens, right? They eat the fruit, they're driven out of the garden, they step into mortality and open the way for the rest of God's children to come to earth and gain a body and have mortal experience. Now the other tree in the story, the tree of life, has always intrigued me, especially the part about an angel with a flaming sword being placed to guard it after Adam and Eve had eaten the fruit. And that day it hit me that in this case, God had intervened for the eternal welfare of Adam and Eve. In the book of Alma, he explains this to his son Corianton. He says, Now we see that the man had become as God, knowing good and evil, and lest he should put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, meaning live forever in their sinful mortal state, the Lord God placed cherubim and a flaming sword that he should not partake of the fruit. Adam and Eve's opportunity for eternal life and exaltation would have been lost if they would have eaten of that fruit. And so in that case, God did step in and save them from what would have been an eternally disastrous consequence. So a couple months after this little insight, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and the outlook was not good. And of course, we fasted and prayed as she began treatments for a miracle. And one day, as I was thinking about my mom and hoping and praying that she would make a full recovery, this experience came into my mind. And I saw so clearly God showing me that yes, he could at any time come in and intervene in any of our lives. He had the power to heal my mom. I knew he did. And I had to trust that if he didn't intervene and give us the miracle we were hoping for, that he had good reasons for it. Maybe even reasons of eternal consequence that we couldn't understand at the time. And that little experience actually brought me a lot of comfort in the really hard months that followed, watching her suffer and eventually succumb to that disease. And I think a lot about that, that there are times in our lives, um, most times I think, that God just lets things play out. He lets us use our agency and he can work with us to bring about good things of whatever we choose when we allow him to. And then there are times, some we're aware of, some we aren't, where he does intervene according to his will and purposes. And I just love that I don't have to be the one (laughs) who makes those decisions of eternal consequence, even though there have been times when I think I know better than God does about what I need. I love that he is all-knowing and all-loving and that he is going to do exactly what is best for all of us in the long run. A few years ago, um, I saw a question and answer session with Elder Holland where someone asked um, a question regarding our will and faith versus God's will. And I loved his response. It's always stuck with me. And I kind of went back and watched, um, the, watched the video so I could make sure I get it right. But this is also Elder Holland without a script. Um, so it might sound a little more off the cuff than we're used to hearing him. But this is what he said. He said, in some cases, you can absolutely know God's will and it will be revealed to you. He will just tell you. This is what you can have or this is what you can do. But just as surely, there are going to be times when you won't know what his will is and you live by faith. 
He went on to say, we are all going to obey his will. He has a will. He has a plan and we can't improve on it. I never want, not in time or eternity, do I want anything but what God wants for me. I am not that smart. I am not that good. There is not anything that I am going to know that is a better shot at my life than what he knows. The best thing for me in all eternity is his will. What the Father has said back in return to us fully yielding our will to his is, okay, if you really mean that and you don't know exactly what my will is, you tell me what yours is. Tell me what you want. I've got a lot of room in my will and I can fit a lot of yours if it isn't out of line or bad for you. And he ended with this um, remark that a Baptist preacher had once made to him. He said, what I've learned in this life is we can all have what we want or something better. And I think that's the way God sees it. The only time you wouldn't get what you want is if he has something better. Okay, I feel like this has been a lot. (laughs) This turned out to be a little longer than I intended, but I'm excited to continue this conversation with you next time. I just want to reiterate to you that God has sent you here to act and not to be acted upon. I hope you've learned some things today. I learned so much in preparing this episode. I just love all the resources and information and help that is available to us these days. It's just amazing. Um, And I also want to remind you that if you ever want to go a little deeper with these concepts, if you ever want to see how coaching can help you not just learn but integrate them into your life, um, come to a free call with me. I would love to help you. You can find the link to sign up on my calendar in my Instagram bio at Annette Jones Coaching or just go to my website at AnnetteJonesLifeCoaching.com for that link and other free resources. All right, um, that's it for today. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend and I will meet you back again here soon. Bye now. If you like what you hear on this podcast and would like to learn more, I invite you to go to my website at AnnetteJonesLifeCoaching.com. There you can sign up for a free mini session where I'll help you see how the tools I teach on this podcast can be applied directly to your own personal challenges. You can also find information on classes I teach and get on my email list for a weekly dose of inspiration straight to your inbox. Again, that's AnnetteJonesLifeCoaching.com. I'll see you there.